Welcome to episode number 107, Sin. My name is Damon Soka and I'll be your host today. This episode will be a little different than the previous ones as the topic really dictates it. Although it is important to note that this topic will be far broader in its scope and relate to far more individuals. Now this will allow it to be far more shareable and I hope that you will do so generously. Now on today's topic, just as a note, I think that it's important to understand that the scriptural commands and personal revelation noted today in this episode are directly related to the teachings and doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Just for clarification today, and to make sure that we are all on the same page, I hold the doctrines of the Church as the standard when current psychological trends conflict with that doctrine. Now, as with many topics I have discussed along the way, I am going to bring the elephant into the room to introduce himself and make an upfront clarification right away. I don't want this subject to be murky and mixed. It is far too important. When I talk about sin, I am specifically talking about individuals who can mentally commit sin. In addition, sin will be defined as really the lack of obedience to one or more specific scriptural commands or personal, revera- personal revelation, or obviously prophetic commands. Now, for the elephant. Here is the elephant's statement that I want to make clear. Sin can and does cause mental illness. However, not all mental illness is related to sin. The origins of mental mental illness are far broader and more complex than sin. As far as mental illness and sin, many scriptures do relate, but I actually prefer the wickedness never was happiness scripture. Meaning, of course, that sin brings with it emotional distress caused by the knowledge we obtained before and actually during this life. However, it is very important to understand that if you are in emotional distress, that does not mean you have sinned. There are many good reasons for emotional distress and even mental illness that have nothing to do with sin. It is very important to me to make that very clear. Far too often, we are taught that if you feel unhappy, depressed, anxious, or other similar feelings to sin, then you must have sinned, or In another sense, you have not repented of some sin. For those who suffer mental illness that has nothing to do with sin, to be told that sin is the problem creates a serious roadblock to the treatment of mental illness. So throughout today's podcast, I want you to keep in mind that sin is only one of the many origins for mental illness, and generally should not be the go-to reason for the unhappiness caused. Let's talk about how sin is now perceived within the communities of church membership. Because how we perceive sin has a bearing on why under certain circumstances it can and does lead to longer-term mental illness. Sin in the church today is treated more as leprosy rather than a learning process. The pressures to be perfect, or at least to appear sinless, is immense within the church community, and sometimes even within families. We go to great lengths to keep ourselves our imperfections, and ourselves out of the purview of others. And that often includes our closet relationships of spouse, parents, and children. For the most part, we all understand that mortality is a learning process, but we would rather our learning not take place where others can see it. We do our very best to keep the skeletons locked deep in the closet, just in case someone tries to peek in through a crack in the door. For most of us, the reason we do this is the leper problem. Once our sin is known to the world, it becomes part of the history, and sin history is difficult to overcome. It can truly feel as though we have been banished to the leper colony to await our death. 
This history problem is as true for wards as it is for families, unfortunately. It would seem that one of our tendencies as mortals is to create history boxes and then place individuals into the box. Similar to our cancel culture today, once you're in a box, there's really no way out of it unless you move away from the persons who create the boxes. It is natural for us to do as this as human beings. If you did it once, then you're likely to do it again, seems to be the prevailing mantra of the mortal world. This is even truer when someone has sinned, and it has affected us personally. The walls of the box can become slime-covered brick walls where there is no way through and no way over. We can become lepers without any real way to cure our illness. Now, as we mature and begin to understand this leper history problem, it becomes painfully obvious that keeping our learning processes to ourselves allows us greater freedom and less slime-covered walls. So we learn to keep sin to ourselves. Sure, we let the small ones out, such as I forgot to read my scriptures today or I struggled to keep the speed limit. But we also learn what sins can be we also learn what sins can be humorously brought to light and those we need to keep in the closet. Some of the more leprous sins, such as breaking the law of chastity, addictions to drugs or otherwise, same-sex attraction, and a host of others, we work to keep them hidden. This pressure to keep the larger sins hidden while excusing our smaller ones is the direct result of social pressure and the leper effect. Now, social pressure within a marriage, a family, or a ward to keep certain things to ourselves is a serious problem within the church in the sense that it keeps many individuals from repentance and the lifting of the burden of guilt. It also tends to destroy important lines of communication necessary for the learning process. Unfortunately, because of this leper-like effect upon individuals, all social pressure, all is an important word there, all social pressure within families, wards, and even communities has been deemed evil and unhelpful. The truth is, is that certain types of social pressure are very detrimental to our spiritual and mental health, and other types are actually quite helpful in keeping us from the problematic effects of sin. When we talk about unhelpful types of pressure that create this leper type effect, more often these pressures fall into selfish categories. Now I know that it might seem strange that the idea of selfish social pressure, but let's take for instance a young person who has come upon some pornography and fallen into an addiction. When a parent feels hurt, anger, embarrassment that someone else might find out that their perfect child isn't so perfect, or when they feel that their authority has not been respected or threatened, then the pressure they exert upon the child is selfish. They are concerned for their own parenting perception and how the child's error might affect their own lives or their control upon the child's actions. This type of pressure upon the child will tend to cause damage spiritually and psychologically. When a parent is only concerned for the salvation of their son or daughter and how they can help them through the repentance process, then the social pressures that are applied tend to focus on the atonement of the Savior and true love of the child. This approach is still applying pressures to the child, but in an entirely different way, and generally the outcome is going to be very different. When social, familiar, familial, or any type of psychological pressure is, is placed upon another human being, child or otherwise, selfish pressure, or what, what might be termed in the scriptures unrighteous dominion, causes at times serious difficulties and certainly can lead to mental illness. 
These selfish, domineering pressures are at the root of most mental illness caused by religious social pressures. We can feel as though those whom we love and admire will never look at us the same, or worse, treat us with leper-like distance. We feel less equal, less worthy, less hopeful. I am not entirely sure why these selfish pressures exist, except that the Doctrine and Covenants in section 121 notes that it is the nature of almost all men, and I will include women. I personally attribute it, attribute it to the lack of spiritual self-worth, a cultural tradition passed down from generation to generation, and a truly misconstrued understanding of what authority really means. There is much more I could say about this pressure, but I think you get the gist of it. When these negative pressures are applied regularly throughout the life of a young person, or even an adult, and when that moment comes when a poor choice is made and sin has occurred, it actually can trigger a traumatic event in the brain and psychology of the person. This trauma, because it cannot be dealt with at the moment or soon after the occurrence, is often buried deep beneath the conscious feelings and thoughts. Trauma that is buried and not resolved generally leads to emotional, spiritual, and psychological difficulties. It does not necessarily mean that a person will develop long-term mental illness, or that illness must be depression, anxiety, or bipolar. What it does mean is that the trauma will eventually come to the surface, and that that can mean a host of concerns mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. For some, it will cause the cycle of selfish pressures to repeat themselves for another generation. For others, it will cause intermittent or cycling emotional issues or mental illness. For yet others, it will develop into relationship issues and abuse. And it can and does lead to long-term mental and physical illnesses. Some will experience a mix of actually all of the above. This is true even when the sin has been abandoned and repentance has been granted. The problem is not the sin. The problem is the selfish pressures that were applied when the sin occurred. Many members of the church suffer with this type of mental anguish and spiritual distress, and many members suffer in silence, not truly understanding the problem. They deeply buried traumatic experiences of a serious sin and selfish pressures and actions of others at the time of the sin, and have left a lasting mark that few know how to approach, and so the damage remains buried, and the symptoms arise based on life. Many have labeled this inability to forgive oneself, and I suppose there is some small point to this, but the reality is, is that most individuals who have committed serious sin and have obtained appropriate help without these selfish social pressures generally do not have issues with mental illness or other due to their sin. But as it is, as it is in the nature of almost all men and women to use unrighteous dominion, a good portion of the church membership who have committed serious sin, do deal with mental illness distress in some form. It is important to understand something about what I termed serious sin. The individual will define for themselves what is serious and what is not based on their culture and experience. What I might not deem serious, others may do. So, depending upon their own environmental, their own environment, culture, and experiences. We should not define serious traumatic sin to be of only certain classifications. Now, some persons work through the issue with the Lord over time as they gain confidence in approaching the Lord with their concerns. 
Many, however, continued to struggle deeply with it as they continued to serve and hope that somewhere down the road it will resolve itself and the feelings, emotions, and symptoms will just somehow disappear. And there are those who simply have walked away from church membership because of this selfish type of social pressure. I know that it might seem as though I'm saying a majority of the church membership deals with this issue, but I do not believe that a majority deal with it. But of those who have committed serious sins, leading to this traumatic trauma early in their lives, I do believe that a majority will eventually have to come face to face with the issue. The more interesting thing about difficulties of this sort is you never know when it will rise to the surface, and the feelings never really seem to diminish much. It is also interesting to note that just how much mental anguish, stress, and even illness is due to issues related to traumatic experiences early in our lives. So we have come so we have come to the point today to understand. One, how do you know that this is an issue for you? And two, how do you approach resolving it? At a high level, meaning avoiding the individual details of each case, a person is going to have to address the situation directly. It is going to need to be discussed and resolved over time. Now, resolved may not mean that you will suddenly feel better or that the feelings will immediately disappear to a whole new life. Time is going to be an important element, and the Lord is by far the most important element. A surprising fact for most people is that it actually takes work and time to address serious traumatic issues. The brain's going to need some retraining, and feelings don't disappear overnight. Typically, feelings dissipate more gradually, once a resolution has been accomplished. Now, how do you know if this is your concern or issue? Certainly, I'm not a psychologist, but there are some clues as to whether or not you are dealing with it. The first is simply if you have experienced in your eyes a serious sin in combination with what I have described as selfish, social, or familial pressures. The second is, if you think about it, does it bring with it a host of emotional issues and concerns almost immediately? Meaning, does it flood your mind with strong emotions or reactions? Third, do those feelings bring out emotional symptoms such as anger, fear, tears, actually a loss of desire, desire to attend church or other spiritual type functions? And fourth, do you almost as, as immediately as the feelings do come, whatever you, do you do whatever you can to bury it again? It is strange to note how good human beings are at burying these type of feelings. Now, what can you do about it? These types of issues, border, mental illness, bordering mental illness or becoming it, need help from someone else. And of course, the Lord. Unfortunately, there exist very few individuals outside of the psychological therapy world who can truly help you work through these issues. Church leadership is wonderful, but often untrained, and even at times will dismiss the issues if, as having occurred so long ago they shouldn't be an issue. While you do not need to go to a bishop to receive help to, with church psychologists, it can be helpful to have them looped into the process. Therapy is actually one good option for these types of issues. But I also realize the stigma surrounding therapy, and so there are things that can provide value as you work with the Lord to confront and address the problem. You are going to need a confidant that will not judge and who can listen, 
Even if they can't fix the problem, listening can, be, can provide serious therapeutic benefits. All of the many things I've discussed in the past podcasts are going to come into play because it is similar to mental illness. This includes exercise, eating correctly, music therapy, journaling. Now, I'm going to put a plug in here for journaling. It can really be a powerful way to write out emotions and difficulties. And even medication for a time as needed. All of those things you would do to address a mental illness. Finally, and I have left this last because it is most important, the Lord is a powerful ally when you confront these types of issues. I served as a bishop for a period of time, and during that time I experienced what used to be termed church disciplinary courts. They are no longer referred to this way. As we counseled together with an individual who had obviously committed serious sins, the power of the Lord was palpable. I have rarely felt the presence of the Lord and the loving mercy of His Atonement in such an overwhelming manner as I have during those counseling sessions. His love was always felt deeply to the point of tears, and it has been equal to any witness I have ever had of the power of the Atonement to heal. I have often said that I have felt deeply that the Lord was often far more willing to forgive, forget, and heal faster than a person was willing to accept it. We as human beings tend to think we need some type of punishment for our sins, but I have never felt that from the Lord, from one who has needed His mercy. I've never even felt it in a small way. There is such power in the atonement and the mercies of the Lord, and I don't think that many individuals within the church understand the depth, strength, and overwhelming power felt when someone truly needs the atonement. Speaking with the Lord and doing those things to bring forth His Spirit is the most important thing that you will do to help you overcome the difficulties brought about by any past traumatic concerns. Today, it is my hope that everyone will be able to overcome these traumatic experiences and feel the joy of recovery, and that through what we do ourselves, and then through the Lord, we will be able to overcome. Until next time.